And in any job that you're in, if you're siloed, you are robbed of the opportunity of teaching and helping somebody in product development, somebody in accounting, somebody in another way about how your function works. Welcome to Action This, practical wisdom from experienced management pros, a podcast series featuring a stacked roster of industry guests dishing about what it really takes for brands to thrive. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Action This podcast by Chatter. My name is Zach Hamilton. I am your podcast host, and I am so excited um, for today's chat with Emily Hawkins. She is such an incredible person, rock star, and she's here to challenge not only just brands, but the human resource team today. And so looking forward to the chat. Um, but if you really think about Action This podcast, we we truly believe that traditional experience management is around peg and the consumer landscape is really the square hole. And what we've heard from so many experienced practitioners and stakeholders is they are frustrated with not being able to connect the dots, influence their organization, and really drive strategic priorities. And now we're here to help you do bring on guests, not just experienced practitioners, but the stakeholders to truly understand what's the challenge with influence in our organizations today, leading being customer-led or employee-led. And our guests are here to, to give you some hard lessons learned. So before Emily and I start our chat, let me just give you some background on Emily because she is phenomenal. Um, by no means does she have your cookie-cutter um, career to what's led her where she is, which I think is also very fascinating. Uh, Emily empowers the unemployed, unfulfilled, and unrecognized to find what they love in their life and put it into their work, which is incredible. Her online courses and individual career coaching are designed to help identify the barriers that are preventing you from knowing and achieving your purpose. Her goal is for no one to ever feel alone in their career. And I don't know about any of you, but I know I have felt alone in my career. Emily and I have talked about that. She's She's been on my journey with me. And I think many of us, every single one of us at some point has either felt alone or is feeling alone. So I can't wait to double tap into that. With over 15 years in corporate America, working with budgets, processes, and people, Emily can help you streamline your, your time, team, and career aspirations to lean a new role, a promotion, or a completely new venture. Emily is armed with a supply chain degree from the University of Tennessee, a Georgia Tech MBA in global business, and a Robbins Mandane's life coaching certification. She's been featured in Forbes and has helped thousands uncover their potential. Emily, welcome to the show. Oh my gosh, Zach, I'm so excited to be here. And that is so kind of you to introduce me that way. I mean, we could probably use your supply chain skills right now, right? Your leadership, what's, what's been going on during the pandemic with all these supply chain issues? <laughs> I am so happy to not be in supply chain right now. <laughs> I, when I saw all of that going down, I was like, ooh, those people already have a rough time. Um, you know, the thing about supply chain is nobody even realizes it exists until something goes wrong. That's so nice. you only hear bad things. Uh, you never hear like, this is amazing. So I, my heart goes out to every single supply chain person, industrial engineer, any of those types of people, uh, because it's, yeah, it's insane. It's insane for sure. Yeah. Emily, what I love to start off this chat with is always just hearing about, you know, our guest journey, right? Because our careers take many different paths um, than what maybe we originally set out to do. Uh, when we had to make the decision at 17 on what we wanted to be when we grow up, which I think is just ludicrous. And I know you've, uh, you and I've had many of those conversations, but just share with our, our listeners, you know, about your journey. How did you get to where you are now? And kind of those like inflection points that said, I'm done with corporate America and I'm going to do my own thing. Yeah. So I, have a degree in supply chain we talked about that and that was completely accidental so i love numbers i'm very much a numbers nerd and i thought in high school that the only way you could do numbers from a business perspective was to become an accountant 
And everyone I knew kept telling me, uh, you have too much of a personality for that. Uh, but of course I was like, well, I don't care what you think. I, I know what I'm supposed to be doing. So I took my first accounting class and got a C uh, in college. I mean, the college level. And the second semester of it, I got a D. I don't know about you, but I don't want a D level accountant doing my taxes or working in my business. So to me, that was a big wake up call of like, this is probably not for me. And I'm just not a debits and credits person is what I realized. And my brother was actually in the business school at the same time, we're two years apart in school. And he majored in statistics, um, which is now data sciences. Um, both of our degrees have obviously changed over the years because I had a degree in logistics and transportation. Uh, but he said, I had to take this logistics class and I think you'd really enjoy it. It's still in the business school because I knew I wanted to do something in business. And he's like, it'll transfer over to whatever you need. So just take the course. And it was like a fish finding water uh, in terms of, oh my gosh, processes and how things are connected in a business and how you can take one of the largest cost centers in a business and change the game for an organization. And it's through people and processes. And I was like, oh, and of course, how do you do that? You got to have your KPIs, right? You got to have your key performance indicators, numbers. And so I was like, oh, this is like the greatest thing ever. This is 100% me. So by the way, when I got into those classes, it was like, A, A, A. I sat in the front row. Every teacher knew who I was. I was obsessed. Um, so I loved, loved, loved that. And I ended up moving to Atlanta um, to get a job in Atlanta. And I started to kind of feel my, my soul dying uh, at my first job, which I think is normal. I think we all have rose colored glasses right out of college. So I started looking around and I went to um, a smaller startup-ish environment, which was known as Singular. I'm giving my age away with that um, since Singular is no longer, it's AT&T. Uh, but that was an amazing opportunity where I actually got to manage uh, all the accessories at that point and really got like nationally and i got to do a lot of work i got promoted twice in a year uh when they did that they ended up hiring two people to fill my position i was on fire for what i was doing and then i knew that i wanted to go to graduate school and my mother told me you've got to go to graduate school before you have children because everything gets harder and i thought you know sage advice so i went to graduate school and again was just like wow i love this these are my people i enjoyed the whole process learning how to work on teams and all of that and and we actually got to go to several global locations to learn as well and it was just such an amazing uh experience and from there uh an old colleague that i had at singular reached out to me and said hey i'm actually at a small startup and i'd love for you to be a part of this with me and that terrified me because I was very much like we should all work for big companies because it's safe. Uh, safe and big company are not synonymous, by the way. I, I think we should we should safety is actually a personal thing. You can decide your own safety at any given time. But I digress. So I actually went to that small startup. Best decision I ever made. Uh, grew my department from one it was just me. I was the planning and procurement department to 25 people where we had um, I was managing warehouses in two countries and then I became the subject matter expert. So I was actually going globally and helping them stand up their organizations globally. And um, the last place I went before I left that world was Norway and it was absolutely beautiful and I loved every second of it. Um, but I, that company was bought. And when that company was bought, I was functionally demoted. So what that really means is they didn't change my pay, they didn't change my title, but I got like two more bosses in the layers and everything got harder in terms of, hey, I've got this idea, we should do these things. And it was like, well, no, we're not really gonna do that. Or it gets stuck somewhere. And, um, I knew I couldn't leave right that second, which is what I wanted to do. My knee jerk reaction was I'm out of here. But the part of the story that you don't know is this happened when I was about eight months pregnant and uh, with my second child. 
And me eight months pregnant, you cannot hide that. Like it, there's no hiding eight months pregnant. There's no hiding six month pregnant, Emily. So it is very, is abundantly clear that I am pregnant. So I, I said to myself, well, I can't go anywhere now. And we had great insurance and, you know, all these family things started to come to my mind. Like, don't, don't try to rock the boat when you're, you've got a family to take care of. So I stayed and about nine months went by. So I had my son and I kept pushing myself saying, you should be happy. You're making more than most people, you know, you have amazing benefits. You have these beautiful, I had two beautiful children. I, my husband is absolutely amazing. And actually it was around Christmas time. I hadn't showered for two days. I was sitting on my couch. It was actually, we had just put the decorations up. Uh, and I took a picture of my family. And if you saw the picture, it's, it looks like Technicolor and it's beautiful. But I was sitting on the other side of that camera, uh, seeing gray. I just really only saw gray. And, and I took that picture to shame myself. Like you, you should be happy. So I did the only thing that I knew what to do. I, started reading personal development and my thought was i need to change everything around me which anybody who knows anything about personal development spoiler alert of every personal development book you change you and you can only change you uh so but it took me to i read 26 books in a year and by the way all of them said you know the same type of thing and i guess i kept looking for answers slow learner over here um but what I learned, by the way, is every single book gave me a little bit of a nugget. And what I could control was my ecosphere, my team. And so I ended up rejiggering, re you know, changing, retooling my piece of the business. We were the largest cost center in the organization, and I knew we could we could change the game in that regard. And we became the most productive team in the company. Um, we were in two different locations. So I had people that were working from home, working in satellite offices, um, and we were not working 14 hour days. We were working like seven hour days. So we became productive. We weren't working as many hours and I got really bored. It was like I had solved the thing, you know, okay, this is, this is great, but I just kept feeling like there was more. And, um, I knew that I wanted to do something bigger, but I was really terrified to do it. And actually the people on my team kept saying, you should be a life coach. And I said, no, no, I have an MBA. Um, I have a business degree. That's not a real job. That's not a real thing. Uh, but enough people said it to me because they started telling other people in the company, go sit with Emily. She'll map out the next 10 years of your career. She will give you books to read. She will pour into you. Uh, and so I felt a little guilty taking a paycheck, actually, because I thought I'm being paid to do procurement, planning and procurement, not you know, really life coaching, which is what I realized it was. So I ended up... Um, going with the Tony Robbins organizations, Robbins, Madonna's, uh, mainly because I had to sit for an exam and that to me, you know, needing that I, I sat there and I'm certified in that, which is great. That program's supposed to take between six and nine months. And I actually finished it in eight weeks. I, it was again, another moment of this is what I've been looking for. This is the other layer supply chain gave me the people and the processes and life coaching gave me the language to motivate move people in a really unique way so that they saw where they fit in as the person in the process and so from there i had this dream of i want to help 100 people outside of my organization because it's one thing to do it internally it was safe right so why not be unsafe and do it outside so I had this dream and that was in 2017. So in April of 2017, I left the corporate world. The reason I left then was because in March of 2017, I got a bonus that my husband and I knew we could live on for a year. We shut everything off. Uh, Netflix, you know, anything special was shut down because I decided certain things weren't worth my freedom. And so we shut everything down, kind of circled the wagons. Okay, here's what we're gonna do. 
so I gave a month's notice, left in April of 2017, uh, made $12,000 that first year. I don't want to sugarcoat anything there, but I had that runway, which was great from my corporate world. Um, but in that time since 2017, I've helped 2,500 people find and land opportunities, making more than they ever thought was possible. And I to think that 100 people, like I'm streaming so small, but you have to start somewhere. And in that time, what I've learned is there's a lot of things that are broken on both sides. Um, a lot of people when they come to me are beaten down because they're in organizations that aren't enabling their growth in some way, shape or form. So these people are like, I want to do something new. I want to do something exciting. And every time I try to push the status quo at my organization, they keep telling me we don't do this here. We don't do that. It's not really the path we're looking for. And by the way, if somebody's saying that to you, it is your duty to go look. Um, one of my one of my cornerstones is each one of us is a business owner. Whether you own a company or not doesn't matter. You own you Inc. is what I like to call it. So you are the CEO of you Inc. And as the CEO of you, Inc., you can walk in and out of any room that you want. You get to decide, and especially right now, uh, we are in a part of the market where the employee is holding the pen. They get to decide to write their future. But here's what I'm learning is that most of us are like, yes, and we grab the pen and then we're like, OK, what do I write? What do, what do I say? What do I do? And that is where I come in and I, I really help people define that. Um, not words that I would say, but I help them look in the mirror and realize their own greatness with their gifts and talents. Uh, and I remember, or, you know, at the beginning of this, you said, you know, I have this non-traditional background. Anyone that's listening, just know you have a non-traditional background. Everybody does. I don't know anybody who's like, well, I went to this school and then I worked at this organization and that organization and everything was just roses and sunshine and all greatness. And I would say that's the biggest misnomer is so many people think they have this non-traditional background when it's called your story. And it's a beautiful story that companies need because you are some company's weakness. They need you so that they can strengthen. Um, so that was a really long answer to what you asked me. I, um, Emily, I love it. Uh, I took almost a page and a half worth of notes that I want to follow <laughs> up on because it is an amazing story. And I agree, right? I agree with so many things that you said in there around no one has a traditional background, right? I hate when people are like, oh, I'm a traditional lawyer, or oh, I'm this, or I'm that. And I call BS on it. And I also agree with you around employees hold the pen right now. I have, I've worked with so many brands here lately where I've said like, look, for such a long time, brands have had this hire to retire HR strategy and they created this notion of we have to play it safe. We have to get a job and work there for 35, 40 years to get our pension and get all these things. And I truly believe what happened, you know, I, I don't want to minimize anything that's happened in the pandemic at all. But I think one of the key levers that's happened during the pandemic is people have really reevaluated. What is it that I want in my life? What is important to me? Um, some people are calling it the great reset about internally, what is it that I want? And I truly believe that employees truly have the upper advantage right now when it comes to employers because employers cannot change very quickly. Their outdated cultures don't allow for that. Their outdated ways that they lead don't allow for that. But to your point, can I read 26 books in a year, pick up nuggets along the way and say, you know what? It's about time that I take control of you, Inc. Yes. So, 
I want to say a couple of lessons that I just got from from your your story. The first one is really around failing forward. Right. You were a C and D accountant and you said, you know what? They probably don't want a C or D level accountant. So I need to fail forward and take a supply chain. That's so like it resonated so much with me because there are so many of us who take what we believe is our dream job. And Emily, you know this, right? Because you've worked with more than 2,500 people. We quickly get into that job and realize, holy crap, this isn't for me. But they feel too bad to say, let me feel forward. Yes. So how do you help people reset when they're like, I think this is the role that I want. And then I quickly learn this is not for me or I don't have the skills yet to go be the best version of myself in this role. Oh, that's so interesting. So the sooner you know that, the better, because taking action matters. And I would say, first of all, being a detective around what is it that you that isn't meeting what you think, um, because I have a I have a problem, by the way, with the word fail. Um, fail means if you look at the definitions, there's like three or four different definitions. And the one that sticks with me the most is the one that's the absence of doing. So like mm -hmm. I failed to show up today, right? I failed to do the work. Well, to me, that means failing. If you're using the word failing, that means you're stopping or you're omitting action. But I don't know about you, I'm living and breathing, so I'm not stopping. So until the day I die, I guess that day will be like fail. I don't know. Um, I still don't believe that. So what I believe is that everything is a data point. You know, my brother's a data scientist uh, and he and I both are just data nerds and everything you touch is a data point. So if you can become a scientist into yourself and by the way, these data points are feelings, too. Because if you walk into a meeting and every time you walk into the same meeting, I worked at one organization, I'm not going to name the name of the organization where we had a 7 a.m. standing Tuesday morning meeting. And it was basically being put on a firing range and you were told you're a horrible human being and not so many words. So I walked into that meeting. I would listen. I would listen to gangster rap before I went to that meeting and <laughs> I would get so like, whoa. You know, and some days it was great and some days it wasn't. But what I realized about that job when I looked at the data points, it was that meeting makes me feel like I don't matter. Yeah. And that I'm being put in front of a firing squad to be found out in some way. So it wasn't the entire company. It was this specific meeting that wasn't sitting right with me. And um, I was told, by the way, in that meeting that I needed to say yes, sir, more. Um, that means I'm never going to say yes, sir. You're not my father. So and I'm not 12. Um, it's, you know, the year it was in the, over the 2000s. Like, really, we're not going to do that. So I just realized that wasn't the right place for me. Um, and so what I would say to you is, is something making you feel less than that's the first step and then try to step outside yourself for a minute and say why is it because i don't actually like this work i don't enjoy the impact that i'm creating maybe you don't even know what the impact is the majority of people i work with they don't even know what they do how it affects the bottom line and those people are what i call taskmasters. they're great at tasks but they're not getting the feedback on their work. And you and I both know if we're not getting some sort of feedback, we're not gonna continue to do something. It's, it's literally how we're designed. So the majority of us aren't getting that feedback and that's what's making us question things. If you're not getting that feedback, it is time for you to move to a different organization that provides that feedback. Um, so yeah, that's, that, before I get into the other other lessons, I 100% agree with you, right? I, I th there's three different buzzwords when we talk about people, people strategy, right? And we hear them all the time. It's employee engagement, it's employee satisfaction, and it's employee experience. And too often, 
experienced practitioners. And by the way, when I say experienced practitioners, I'm not going to designate customer experience, employee experience, brand experience, product experience, all those things, because quite frankly, one of the greatest challenges in an organization is siloed stakeholders. And the experience world, traditional experience management for 25 years created silos when it came to experience, although we're the ones saying we have to break down the silos within our organization if we want to drive a great customer experience, for example. So when I say experienced practitioners, I am not singling out a customer experience practitioner or an employee experience. It's everyone in general. But we keep using these buzzwords, and they're three completely different things, right? The first one is overall experience. What's the experience that I have within your organization? Do I have the right tools, the right processes, all those different systems in place that allow me to succeed in my role, mm -hmm. right? And when I have a challenge with the tool that I'm using, do I get help in a timely manner? Is it a frictionless process? What's that onboarding experience look like? Where am I meeting all my team members and, and interacting with them? Do I feel, how, how quickly do I feel part of that culture, right? That's the overall experience. When it comes to satisfaction, to what you just said, it's really around, am I satisfied with the role that I am in? Am I satisfied with my quality of work? Am I satisfied with, uh, for example, that performance review, which by the way, should not happen once a year. It is an always on, should always happen. And I love what you said about employee, you know, getting that feedback. And then last but not least is engagement. Am I engaged in the mission, vision, value, and culture of this, of this brand? And what you just said was, is so timely about the frontline employee and it and i'm talking this can't this isn't just the frontline person inside a retail store that's helping you out frontline in the contact center frontline in your corporate office they do not know how in their specific role they are contributing to your organization so they can be satisfied with their work right emily like you were satisfied with your work we heard that in your journey, your experience was crap. You had a leader that was not good. You went into the firing squad every week. So your experience was horrible. And quite frankly, there was an engagement thing. And so I'm just curious in your mind, why are we not getting this right from a people strategy? Like why are CHROs so challenged right now to truly get this right? We are stuck. I love that you said buzzwords because one of the buzzwords, the C word, I hate this word, culture. You mentioned the word culture and people put on their HR hat and they're like, we are a culture of inclusivity and diversity. I swear that's what everybody says. Uh, that's great. What does that mean? What is that? And I will tell you two things that 2,500 people, all of them have told me that they want one is they want they get energy and they gain excitement about what they're doing by helping others everyone wants to help we are all here to help so when somebody is put siloed to your point or anything like that you are actually cutting them off at the knees in terms of helping because cross-functional learning is key and in any job that you're in, if you're siloed, you are robbed of the opportunity of teaching and helping somebody in product development, somebody in accounting, somebody in another way about how your function works and how you touch the customer in some way, shape or form. So helping others is key. And by the way, each and every one of us, our version of help is different, but everyone wants to help. So if your team, doesn't know how they help others, they will get burned out incredibly fast. And the other one is they wanna feel seen and heard. Now, I do not mean that you're gonna have an award every month, right? I get that, that's what we wanna do. We wanna throw like extra money at people. We wanna put a plaque up for them. That's awesome, good, do that thing. That's not what I'm talking about. 70% of the workforce is disengaged. I don't care what company you work for, that number really comes to play out pretty much at every organization, that 70% of your employees are not engaged in their work every day. And it's because 
no one is saying, you know, Fred, Sally, Zach, I would love your opinion on how we can improve this process. And not only having that conversation, but then putting into action what they share with you. We actually have a very cheap experience officer right now in your company, and they are meeting your customers every single day. And it would help the customer experience, but it would also help that employee become more engaged. When your employees are engaged, they actually make more money for your organization. They're more productive. They stay longer. You don't need a pension. You don't need all these flashy things. You just need to look them in the eye on a regular basis and say, what are you seeing that we could do better? And then actually freaking do it. It's not hard. Chatter by Stingray proudly presents Action This. Let's have a chat. Visit chatterresearch.com to try out our online feedback demo and experience the chatter effect. I, I'm like raising my hands over here, like praising you, Emily. Like, and it's and and I, and I think the other piece of that equation too, right, is. CHROs have become so reliant on this outdated methodology of the annual engagement survey. Mm-hmm. And so what happens is we kick it off, you know, sometime in calendar, calendar quarter, January 1, right? January, February, March. Mm-hmm. The company that runs it for them, right? When that cutoff date runs, then it takes them two to three months to synthesize all that data to say, Hey, Emily, CHRO, here's the challenge in your organization. So now we're a half of a year in, and then the CHRO presents it out. And then it is, okay, we've got to democratize this with the executive leaders. Let's set a plan. And then around comes calendar year quarter four, holiday season. Just generalize it that way. And it's like, okay, what are we going to take action on? And to your point, employees no longer trust the employer because they're not taking action on the feedback that they're giving. Yeah. yeah. And it doesn't have to be massive, massive, like, hey, we're going to go do this. It is, hey, you know what? On a continual basis, we're getting your feedback. We're allowing you to give feedback more frequently versus just one time a year. Department leaders are looking at that. We are communicating to you on here's the top three things that we've heard this quarter, for example, and here's the one thing that we're taking action on. It's to your point, it's simple things like that that say, hey, you know what? I trust that you are listening to me. I trust that you are hearing me. I feel heard. You are seeing me as a person. And that is what I crave. So I love you bringing up the second lesson I learned in your journey, by the way, is around safety. Safety, we rely so much on our employers to feel safe, right? I want to feel safe in my role. I want to make sure that I have job security because it is a scary thing. And there's so many deeply rooted emotions into the feeling of safety because that could start in someone's childhood, right? Where they don't feel safe. Um, and they need that security. And so that feeling of security really comes, that traditional approach, right, comes from, I have a good nine to five job, I have good health benefits, I have a good paycheck, I have all these things. And I love how you said, safety is a personal thing. Is it a choice for you? And so I'd love for you to just double click on that real quick around, what's because that was for, that was me. You remember that? Oh, right? 100%. If you go back, and, and I'll be raw for a second, you know, so many of my listeners have probably read Post, but like I grew up in a very physically abusive um, home from my biological father. He was on drugs. He was an alcoholic, could never hold down a, um, a steady job, right? And I saw my mom working double shifts in a factory to try and make ends meet. And I remember saying like, look, I will never be him, never be him. And Emily, you remember when I first found Emily, I was broken, 
I had no feelings of self-worth. I wanted to stay in this job because it was safety for me. I was making good money. I had good benefits. I was providing for my family, something that he never did for us. But yet you would think I'd be, I would be satisfied with all those things. And I was like, I had no self-worth. And remember, you call me the golden handcuffs. And oh, I yeah. said, and I said, Emily, I just want safety. I want to feel safe. And you're like, no, you need to take off your golden handcuffs. And so why do you think us as, as people, us as employees, why do you think it's there's such a fear of this term safety? And how do we break free from that notion? Oh, goodness. Okay, so there are actually six human needs, and they stack on top of one another, and you can live in several of them at one time. I don't want to go too deep into that, but the most basic human need, I like to think of it as they, you know, they build, so let's pretend you're on a ladder. First rung of that ladder is safety. Safety is sameness, it's certainty, and it's security, right? So, I can't define what that means for you because every person's uh, ability to feel safe, secure, sameness is internal because of exactly what you just said. Every story is a little different, but I can tell you that the majority of us feel like sameness, safety, and security mean I'm okay, so let's not rock the boat. Um, but what I like to say is, you know, a security blanket, which some of us had as kids, I know my brother had one. Um, if you put that over your head tight enough, you will suffocate. You cannot live in sameness. Uh, I think many of us have seen like Groundhog Day is a great example, right? That is like the ultimate security, safety, sameness, right? And what does he do? He wants to die. He's like, this is terrible. It's not enough variety, which, by the way, is the next level. But here's the thing about safety is you you think, and when I say you, I mean all people, think that looking for another job means you're already out of the job you're in, and that's not safe. I am not telling you to go tell your boss you're leaving and then be without a job and looking for a job. I would never recommend that because you're actually pulling safety right out from under you. The beautiful gift that you have right now is that you can passively look. You can work your nine to five and have what I feel like is the 24 seven salesperson working for you, which is your LinkedIn profile, and you're playing both sides. That is true safety. When you own the fact that you can look at any time and you are not beholden to one organization, honestly, you will do better work because this is the other thing about safety. If you do not feel safe where you work, we have a part of our brains that's the lizard part of our brain, right? That, you know, kept us safe when there were bears chasing us. And if we did not feel safe, we would run, right? We would move to another location. Well, that part of your brain is great if you are being chased by a bear or you see a snake. I don't know about you, that doesn't happen to me on a regular basis. If I have a boss that's constantly telling me the work I'm doing is wrong, it's not good enough, the organization is falling apart, I'm worried I'm gonna get fired. Well, that same lizard brain is working and the part of it I didn't tell you about is when you feel that level of stress, your brain is designed to shut down logical thinking. So if I do X, Y will happen, you know, which is what we learned, I think, in like, you know, algebra class or whatever. Uh, our brain doesn't think that way. It just says get away from the bear, right? So when you are living in an environment that doesn't feel safe, and that's your version of safe, your logical part of your brain is shut down. You will make more mistakes. You will, you know, lash out at people without truly thinking. It's a very dangerous place to be. Um, I'm curious in your mind, right? So if you think about this, how 
how should the CHRO, how should the people leader be thinking about safety, right? Knowing that we all want that sense of feeling of secure, mm-hmm. right? We want to be secure in our role because we do have to, we have to um, provide for our families. I'd love to hear your thoughts, Emily. In my mind, I think there's a couple ways that the people leader should really help drive that feeling of safety, that feeling of, hey, you're allowed to not be on all the time, the, the fail word, right? Fail fast, fail forward. We hear that as a buzz moniker all the time. To me, it is very frequent feedback. It is very frequent we're taking action. It is allowing them to um, give feedback at any time confidentially in order for, for the company to upskill their leaders. Mm-hmm. What I've heard from, from you a lot so far in this chat is the more than 2,500 people have come to you. It's not looking for a new job and, and saying, Emily, help me. A lot of it's due to the leadership. Oh my God. Like we have a leadership 5%. freaking crisis and we've had a leadership crisis for so many years. Why can we not, like, why are brands, companies, organizations, people leaders, why are we not solving the leadership challenge? Well, first of all, we're promoting the wrong people. This is gonna be incredibly unpopular, but we're saying, wow, Zach, you're a great doer. So you should manage people. What in the world? (laughs) That is not the same skill set at all. I am great at being in my cube and doing my work. And all of a sudden now you're telling me most people think that leadership is babysitting. If you're great at leading, you know that it is the furthest thing from that. It's empowering. Um, And what I would say for the CHRO is you have to lead from the front. So what I just said was people want to be seen and heard and they need to be taken action. Well, whoever directly reports to you, which by the way is every leader in the organization, you need to look them in the eye and you need to have a conversation with them. And then you need to write down what common themes are, bring all those people together and say, this is what I heard from each of you. Here are the things I'm tasking myself with because your job as the CHRO is to support and create a safe environment for those people. And so that is first and foremost. Then I agree with you. I hate the annual reviews because everybody knows you can never rate somebody what you really want to rate them because there's not enough money and we only use it for raises, blah, blah, blah. It becomes a garbage process. As a leader, you need to be meeting with your team on a weekly basis. You need to be meeting with your individual employees, depending on how many there are, at least once a month, if not once a week, depending on how large your team is. They need that FaceTime with you to understand what's going on. That Their job is to support the customer. Your job is to support them. And the only way you know what that is, is by clearly guiding them in that direction. So those types of things have to happen. So the CHRO needs to close their mouth and open their ears. Yeah, it's this is such great just wisdom, right? Because I've I've heard so many times from CEOs, even who listen to this show, um, and and a lot of the executive advisory work that I've done, it's like, look, I would love to have the crystal ball on how to side the solve the people challenge. And Emily's the crystal ball. She's telling you what's happening. Because some of the top performers that you want to keep in your organization are leaving or they're seeking out Emily to say, I want to change and help. And, and you are the magnificent, like, Hey, I'm going to give you this mirror and I'm going to point it straight back at you. But you hear so many, so many stories, right? And you hear incredible people who are just broken down. They're burnout. There's a lack of self-worth because they've been pounded. And so if CHROs or anyone leading people are not taking notes right now, like this is your crystal ball. But I wanna, I wanna step back for a second because the experienced practitioner might be on listening right now and I wanna help connect the dots for her or for him, right? I truly believe that people, your CHRO should not be leading your employee experience strategy. Oh, 100%. Or, again, 
And here's the reason why they're not equipped to do it. They're not, and, and that's okay. It's no shot at them. I'm not taking a shot at the CHROs. I've worked with so many of them who are great people, but your traditional university degree, MBA, and those certification courses are not teaching you about the human experience. They're teaching about systems, processes, and everything not to get us sued, but they don't teach you the human element of it. And so it's really the experienced practitioner on the line who has to be one of their top partners, right? It is, let me help you map out our current employee journey, for example, from when they engage with you, looking at your website, for example, to say, hey, I know this is a great brand, but do I wanna come work here? What does that look like? All the way to, hey, I'm now phone interviewing. I am now in-person interviewing, if, if it's still a thing. It's all the way to, what does it look like after I onboard my first 90 days or hell, 30 days in the role? All the way to what's my first year in the role? And the CHRO is not equipped for that. The experienced practitioner is the one who can help map that out, understand where those frictions according to employee feedback. And they're the ones that light the stakeholders on fire to say, let's go solve these tr frictions. Let's go solve these challenges. And so Emily, like, I would love just to hear from you. Why are we getting in our way? Why are organizations and leaders saying, hey, CHRO, you are a key stakeholder in the human strategy, the people strategy, employee experience, whatever it's called within your organization. And let's look, let's let our experienced leaders truly run the processes and systems. Oh my gosh, I love that. And what you're really saying is we have a board or we have an exec team and let's utilize each other. Let's help each other because I'm sure you've heard this too. If you want to go far or sorry, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And that's the moment where you say, oh my gosh, it would be great to understand more of this. Um, I will tell you, you know, something that I found really effective with my team was I, I had an opportunity when I was in the corporate world to, to revamp my team and actually um, let go half of them and, and bring in new blood. And I decided we're going to pretend like it's day one for these employees. And I brought in our CFO, like into a conference room. I brought in our um, product, our head of product. And what I did was I said to them, what, what would help you do your job better? And then what would you love to see from my team? And what do you hate seeing from my team? And because it was a brand new team, nobody was offended, right? It was like, oh, well, that's not working. I know that was pivotal in our team, one, level setting expectations from all the groups. But all of a sudden, the CFO is like, you brought me in, and now I feel like I'm a part of your team, too. And you're enabling your team to actually empowering your team to do better work. So, so honestly, it's there's this misnomer that asking for help is a bad thing. And I'm, I'm using air quotes when I say help because you're, you're utilizing somebody that's a subject matter expert. Um, I'll give you an example. If I were sitting here right now with you and a pipe burst in my house, I could go on YouTube and watch a video on how to fix it, but I'm not going to do that because <laughs> it's going to take me too long. I'm probably going to break something in the process. And oh my gosh, my house is filling up with fire, right? Yet, what you just said was you're asking your HR people to be plumbers. That's not their skill set. Why don't you let them call a plumber, which is your experienced team? Bring them in. I, I think we don't utilize the experienced team. I don't think we utilize learning and development as much as we should. And those together, that's a powerhouse externally and internally for your organization. They are the plumbers that will fix the problem much faster and much more effectively. Preach. Uh, we could we could do a whole nother chat on just L and D, but I, I want to 
kind of wrap this up, we've been talking a lot about your journey. I'm going to tie a couple things together, so stick with me here, right? So, you know, you mentioned in your journey around you were bored, right? Like you had solved the challenge. You've bu- you built this incredible team that you didn't just go at it alone and did it fast. Like you did it over time. You built this incredible team and, and we could call them the peak performing team, right? So you have a peak performing leader in Emily, peak performing team. And you're over here thinking, okay, what's next? And typically what happens is leaders say, oh, Emily, go tackle this. I know you can do it. They give you more doer things to do, mm-hmm. right? And so I think the synergy between that and the, and you you mentioned, right? You get people like this every day who's like, I don't know what's next. I want a new challenge, but I don't just want to do, I want to take something else on, right? So you have that. Then you talked about you Inc. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's really about building your brand. I think building your brand, I think corporations fall short because they just look at us as the doers, potentially the leaders, but they don't help you build your brand. And that could be a leadership brand. That could be whatever brand that it is. And we think about culture, right? When I think about cultures, it is how do we collectively leverage all the u- unique you inks mm-hmm. that we have, help them build their brand in order for us to harvest everyone's superpowers to project our organization forward, right? And so that's just a whole nother issue around investing in your employees. And, and you've mentioned, hey, all the 2,500 plus, they don't feel like they're being empowered. They don't feel like they're being invested in, right? So take those two synergies and you develop this market me course right that helps job seekers you really give them the tools to help them build a personal and professional brand they get to design their dream job it helps them build confidence and seeing value in themselves because you would think if you're a high performer your leader is going to help you see value and that never happens let's just be or i should say it rarely happens because there are some really phenomenal leaders out there so when you think about those three things and we putting those three together, can you share some insight on, you already said, hey, there's there's two things that come up most of the time in dream jobs, which is get energy and excitement by helping others and being seen and heard. Are there, is there anything else that you see comes up on this is my dream job? And if this is the case, then why are we still in this crisis of brands can't put it all together? Like what's missing? Is it stakeholder engagement? Is it silos? Is it, we don't know how to connect the dots between investing in our people and business outcomes. Like how, like in your mind, what's the challenge? So I want to say, I would love to just, I love blaming. Blaming is fun, right? Because blaming puts no ownership on me. So I'm going to blame everybody else. Um, that's also really powerless and and makes me feel bad because there's nothing I can do to change, right? So this is a two-pronged approach. It is the employee understanding their worth, where they fit, understanding that they can ask questions at any given point to push the status quo, to understand what that is. And it's the job of the company to listen and take action. So both both people, both, I guess, you know, the organization, the person, the employee have ownership in this situation. It's a two-way street. I liken this to if I went to my son's teacher and said, you're not teaching him well. And she's like, well, I need you to read with him every night because he's in first grade and that's a big thing. And I'm like, oh, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not going to do that. I need you to just do it for me. Employees do that sometimes, right? they look to their leaders, they look to other people to know where they fit. And that is a huge disservice that you are doing to yourself as an employee. So understanding your gifts and talents in a deep, meaningful way, and then teaching others where you fit is key. So that's where the employee needs to own. But the employer needs to know what they need because most organizations Job descriptions remind me of dating sites. Um, I don't know if you know these statistics. I do. 
Um, so if you went on eHarmony or, you know, Christian Mingle, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. The statistics are the same. What somebody claims they want and who they end up with are vastly different about 95% of the time. And if you think about it, you might have this list in your head and I'm, I'm just going to give some like really ridiculous examples, right? Like, um, she should be blonde. You know, she should be this tall. She should be this religious affiliation. She should be all these things. That's a what. I don't know about you, but when things are hard in my life, I don't care how tall my husband is. I don't care where he goes to church. I care how he makes me feel. And the partnership that we've created and the communication we have. And dating sites see the same thing, right? It's how someone makes you feel. It's not these checkboxes. And that's how job descriptions are written, right? They're written for checkboxes. You want this mythical unicorn that has depth and breadth. They're somehow 35 years old, yet they have 40 years of experience. Uh, by the way, you want to pay this person a dollar. Um, what? No. You need someone in your organization that sees the challenges and is empowered to make that change. So that's, job that's, descriptions have to stop being pulled from Google, by the way, because that's what most organizations do. Emily, I didn't know those stats, but you just set off this aha on me, right? If you think about, and I'm doing air quotes, employee engagement strategies, they're just checking the box, right? And, and the what that we get from it is what's our score? Mm -hmm. The score, and, and you can look at any metric, pick your metric, employee satisfaction, employee NPS, employee whatever score, KPI you want to look at. Too many brands look at it and say, this is our score. We're doing well. We're doing better than X, Y, and Z but they miss the emotion and the feeling because they're not connecting with their employees. They're just doing this to check a box and they typically do it with the survey and they stifle employee feedback because let's just be honest, employee experience practitioners, the one things that drive me insane about surveys, regardless if it's customer or employee, it's about the brand, it's not about the customer or the employee. And I'll give you an example. You want to know what your MPS is. You want to know why they told you that. And all of a sudden you want to know, are your bathrooms clean? That's about your brand, not about the customer. And it's the same thing with employees. We want to know what that KPI is. Tell us why you rated us that way. And instead of digging in and really connecting with the employee to get to that deeper level, then it becomes, well, how satisfied are you with our benefits program? And they make it about the brand, the employer, not about the employee. And the employees are like, I don't, I don't feel, I don't feel heard. I don't think that I feel seen. I'm not engaged because I don't know how I can contribute to the organization. I don't know the the orders that I process today. How does that connect with top line revenue? Sometimes we take it for granted that everyone knows and and. Not everyone knows, and that's okay. We have to do a better job of connecting the dots. And I want to end on this, Emily. You know, for two and a half years now, we've been hearing about the great resignation. Again, another buzz moniker, right? Great resignation, great resignation, great resignation. And it's true, people have left their jobs in droves, right? Part of it is macroeconomic things. Mm-hmm. But in the last couple of years, you've seen 2,500 people or more that for our entire chat, they don't feel seen, they don't feel heard, they're not emotionally invested, they're not connected. Um, there's that leadership crisis, right? There's feedback um, that's being missed. And as you help all of these talented individuals truly take charge of you, Inc., and help them really see their worth and their value and say, I wanna take this to a new employer who's truly gonna value me. 
I want to talk about the great onboarding and would love for, because I no one's talking about this. Everyone's talking about the great resignation. No one's talking about the great onboarding, the look forward. And so when you think about everyone that you've helped, what words of advice would you give an employer's HR team, an experienced team to say, you're landing incredible talent, don't F this up. <laughs> okay, <there's> that. Uh, <laughs> What we need to remember the first 30 days, whoever we bring in, the janitor, the CEO, it does not matter. They are the smartest person in your company. They are not tainted by we've always done it this way. They're not tainted by friendships or allies or whatever, you know, any political things that may or may not occur. They are the smartest people. So what you need to do is create a culture of bravery. And I call it bravery because we as a society think when you ask questions that there are dumb questions. And I just don't believe that, especially the first 30 days in. Everything should be something that can be asked. And something that I think when we hire somebody, we have this like figure it out mentality. Like, oh, Zach, you were really great at your last organization, so you just know what you're supposed to do here. Huge misnomer, right? I should be having a meeting with you at least once a month, but I should also as a leader say, in 90 days, I want you to be successful at blah, blah, blah. It deems, this role deems success to me in 90 days if you accomplish this. And I don't mean solving world hunger or anything insane, chipping away, moving in that direction, whatever that might be, you're giving them a goal to achieve. And that is key, but you're not just giving them this goal and letting them go. When I first became a manager, I thought, I hated micromanagers, I still do, but I thought that the exact opposite of that was what a great leader was. Actually, that's the near enemy of micromanagement, which means the near enemy is just completely hands off. You're not giving guardrails. You're not giving any direction. There's no feedback. That's just as bad. Uh, whereas what you really want is support and guidance. And I always had a plan with my team the first week we met every day for 15 minutes. It was usually at the end of the day. What questions do you have? The very next week, it was two days out of that week that we did that. So like Tuesday, Thursday were really good. The next week it became a one week thing, you know, every week, and then that never stopped. So you had 15 minutes with me once a week. 15 minutes is great because it makes people really think before they ask you something. And if you limit it, then they know, okay. And then here's the other thing though, is you've got to have integrity about that as a leader. You can't say, oh my gosh, there's a big meeting with the CEO, so I'm going to cancel this. And then the next week you cancel it. And then you show up late and all these other things. All of a sudden, you're telling the person that they're important. You're showing them that they're not. So digging in on respecting your employees as if they are the CEO and they matter as much as the CEO, then man, your organization's just going to flourish. Yeah. And, and I love all that. And think about what you just, you just helped the experienced practitioner map out what that onboarding journey looks like for the first at least 30 to 60 days. And the other piece that I want to give, I, I want to give advice on is not every employee is going to have that brave conversation and ask the question because of that fear of the, I'm going to look like I'm not competent enough to be in my role. Right, because there's all of those emotions that we have when we start a new role, and it li probably likely stems back from they asked the question their first 30 days from a previous employer or leader, and it was the firing squad. And so, as an experienced practitioner who's listening to this, you have to team up with your HR team to say, "Look, not everyone's going to give verbal feedback or ask verbal questions. We have to give them safe space." to be able to ask those questions or give that feedback in other ways. And that could be, you know, in, tactically speaking and always on in your intranet where they can click and give feedback from like a traditional survey. And that is okay because mm -hmm. there's so many introverted um, professionals who are incredible or even extroverted 
professionals who had the firing squad on them in their first 30 days in a previous role because they asked the question, a clarifying question. And so as that experienced professional, you were in this with the HR team. Like you should be attached to the hip saying, how do we understand if there's any barriers, especially in those first 30 days? And also what I believe when you onboard someone, your goal as their boss, as their manager, is to be the ambassador of trust. Show Ooh. them, share that as much as possible. I used to say, when you enter my office and you shut the door, whatever you say to me will not leave this room unless you want it to. And enough of those conversations happened where nothing was said outside that I gained trust. Trust is so easy to lose. You have to be very careful with it. But when you show people that, when you give them that autonomy in that space, um, it's amazing what they'll share with you and how you can actually help them problem solve as well, because that's what would happen in certain cases. Um, I had people that came to my office, shut the door and cried because their dog just died or their uncle passed away and they weren't going to be able to get home for the funeral. Um, holding space for people is so uncomfortable and so necessary. It's just a lot of listening, right? A lot of, just a lot of that. Yeah, but it, and Emily, it goes back to, we hear brands now, and, I've, and I worked for a brand where it was, bring your whole self to work. Mm -hmm. And I loved it, right? That's, I loved it. I love the brand that I work for. I still love them, even though now I'm a competitor. Um, but too many brands want you to bring your whole self to work, just not your dog just passed away and you need some space or you just went to a funeral last week and you are still grieving. Like we want you to bring your whole self to work because we are inclusive and we are this, but oh, by the way, we want you to change who you are to fit into our culture in order to be included. And that's a whole nother topic. But Emily, this has been incredible. I think there's so many lessons in here throughout your entire journey that HR leaders should take notice because it's not just you, right? This was just your journey to helping thousands of people discover themselves and discover what that, what they, what it is that they truly want, not the what, but what is it they truly want and go help them find a role at a brand that, that aligns to their purpose as an individual of you Inc. Um, for any of my listeners, and I'm going to say this, not just the job seekers out there, definitely get in touch with Emily. You can go to chatterresearch.com, click on resources, click on podcast. I know it's a lot of clicks. We're, we're cleaning this up from a UX perspective. You can click on Emily's face, and on her landing page, you can see her, her website. But I also want to challenge the CHROs listening to this or the HR leaders. Emily is an incredible resource for you. And you might be thinking, how do we just help our employees build their U Inc. so that they discover their superpowers and bring them to really drive value in our organization? And I encourage you to reach out to Emily she can help you so with that emily thank you so much for for joining us i know our listeners are going to get a ton out of this and i cannot wait till we chat the next time thank you thank so much for having me thanks for tuning in for more on consumer insights and experience the chatter effect visit chatterresearch.com